we go any further, we want to thank our sponsors, SK Coffee. Yes, we're, we're me and Pat are functioning on some very delicious Colombian brew Columbian that I brew. put into my cold brew maker. Yeah. Uh, which is like the savior of my entire life right now. Yeah. It keeps me caffeinated for like three or four days. It's fantastic. Whew. I only had like six ounces of that stuff. I know. I am flying. It is crack. It's coffee crack. It's delicious too. It's got like when I cold brew it, it has... All the SK stuff just comes out with this very, very chocolatey, sweet taste. All even before I put any creamer let's be, into let's it. Let's be real. All their stuff is bomb. It is. It is. Uh, I think my favorite is the Peruvian bean. Uh, if you're a coffee person, go check out SK. Check out SK Coffee. They They're have a roasted subscription here in service. Minneapolis. Yeah. Uh, the guy that started it used to live in Boston, moved to Minneapolis, mm-hmm. and started roasting here. And now they're they just signed a contract actually with Kowalski's. So Did they really? Yes. So you can find them in Kowalski's now. So Kowalski's actually for, as is of a September first, you can find them in it's Kowalski's. A local grocer here in Minneapolis, St. Paul. A local co-op, like yeah, cool yeah, grocer, sort store. of reminiscent of Whole Foods slash Trader yeah. Joe's, I would say. Yeah. So, so that's cool. Good for go them. Go do that. Yeah, and also on top of that, just a side note about SK because we don't really ever go into what they do and la 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 right okay so yeah sk just bought their own farm over in africa and it's super cool so go check it out at skcoffee.org go try some of their coffee it's really delicious uh put it in a cold brew maker it makes it really chocolatey mm-hmm. and if you leave mm-hmm. it for like all weekend and forget about it like me then mm-hmm. you can be cracked out too yeah hey all right i know i'm having fun yes <laughs> also we want to thank our sponsor olio You can head to oleolife.com to learn more about them. And what they do is they provide CBD, like, I would call it like the crystal light of CBD. Yeah. It's a powder. Add it to any beverage of your choice. It's a light form. Yeah. Yeah. I like the flavorless because you just add it to a beverage of your choice and boom, instant CBD. But they also have rooibos, I'm going to pronounce that wrong, rooibos, teas, which are very, very like fruity teas and coconut water. So I didn't know they made coconut water. I'll have to try that. The coconut water is good. It's a dehydrated packet. Of oh, water. okay. Yeah. Oh, I forgot they about actually, that. It has CBD in it sam- as well. Yeah. They sent us some of the samples and yeah. I don't and so think for those that don't know, them, CBD but I is not something that like affects you immediately. I think people have this like misconception about CBD that it's something where it's like THC where, you know, you smoke some weed or you smoke some CBD weed or you eat CBD edible and immediately your joints feel better and you feel relaxed and blah, blah, blah. And like, you know, that could maybe play a small part in in some sort of side effect like that. But the the point of CBD is to be supplementing periodically. It works over time. And people say... Uh, like caretakers will say that it takes about two weeks for you to notice mm-hmm. the side effects or the positive or the side positive, effects, the positive, whatever side you want to call, you call them, um, the, the effects. Yeah. The, the positive effects. effects of taking CBD. It's like daily. This. Think of it for like this. an extended period of time. Hey, if you're used to eating pizza six days a week and all of a sudden one day a week you eat a salad, you're not going to get skinny. So that's kind of how CBD works. Yeah, it's not something you can do overnight. So yeah, uh, me and Pat need to get back on the CBD train, honestly, because we do feel really good when we're doing it. I was digging it. I was digging it. Shout out to Oleo. Go check them out. Oleolife.com. CBD. Oleolife. And? And last one, but not least at all, the producer of the RE20, the microphone that Michael Jackson recorded Thriller on via Quincy Jones in the 80s, 
Electro Voice. That's the sponsor that we've got going on for this podcast, our first sponsor. We're super stoked to have these guys on board. If you live in Minneapolis or you live in the Midwest even, you'll see Electro Voice all over the place. Not even just that. I mean, Ryan Nelson, who was the person that reached out to us about this in the first place, he travels to Costa Rica to install sound systems for clubs internationally. He's traveling constantly. They're a huge brand. Like Anybody who knows audio gear knows Electro Voice and... They just so happened to have relocated to Burnsville, Minnesota, which is right outside of Minneapolis. And they were kind enough to provide us with four microphones, uh, which makes us sound fantastic. And really, without these guys, uh, we would we would probably suck. Yeah, we so. would not sound nearly as crisp and nice. So shout out to Ryan Nelson at Electro Voice and the whole company. Mm-hmm. Really, really cool people just looking out for people that they can support, things they believe in and... They've asked for really nothing in return except for us to, you know, use them and enjoy them. And absolutely, and we nothing have. but they've been awesome. These have so. been great mics for. We've been doing this for about two years now, right? Almost two years. Coming yeah, up on two years. Yeah, it's about to be more than two years. So oh, um, wow. we don't really talk about our sponsors very much, you guys. And you know, we don't want to bore you with the the capitalistic structure that's required to sustain something like this, you know, but we want to plug the people that give us the time of day and that have always been around for us and and give you a little reason of why we support them and that we don't just like arbitrarily choose sponsors that we just need money from or want this and that from, you know, we, we choose, we choose people that we We believe in their products. Yeah. We believe in their products and we appreciate them as people. Yes. And so we, just want to give them a little time of day and we think you guys should too because we really believe in their stuff and we appreciate them a lot. So Absolutely. There Absolutely. you go. Ad segment. Ad segment over. Ended. All right. And the last thing before we get into it, um, just make sure to follow us. If you're not already following us, find us on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram, the gram, as they say. Oh my you God. You can find us on the Twitter, the Twitter, the Twitter. Yeah. Anyway. You can find us all over the place. And from now on, by the way, on Facebook, when we when we post things, we'll be posting the fan link. So you'll be able to listen to us on um, iTunes or SoundCloud or, or Spotify um, within the next month here, Spotify. Yeah. And so you'll be able to choose your preferred platform. It won't just be a SoundCloud link that we provide anymore because we are available on iTunes, just so y'all know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a little harder to find because there are a couple other organizations that have sort of the same syntax or diction that we've used with our mm-hmm. podcast, but you can find it if you're familiar with the artwork at all. And like we said, to make this just more accessible for everybody in the future, we will have fan links that provide the links so you can listen on the platform that you prefer. Absolutely. All right. Ready, Phew. Megan? Let's get into like Let's the important it. stuff. All right. All right. So we have a segment today we're calling Good Guy Greg. Yes. That's an old meme for those of you kids who are young and those don't know. Kids those who are you young. kids who are young. Yeah, we wanted to do a Good Guy Greg segment with artists, basically, because yeah. uh, I I read something recently on Reddit. Of course, you know, a lot of the things that I talk about come from Reddit about Gautier. And I just kind of thought to myself after reading this article about how many other artists are doing sort of effortless philanthropic things for their fan base is kind of a good way to say it, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. So the first one that we'll start out with here is um, Gautier, 
somebody that I used to know video that that almost everybody that's been in public has heard this song yeah. a million times. Unless you're like living out video. in a cabin out in the woods with like no social interaction or cultural interaction, you've heard this song. Okay, so the Gautier, somebody that I used to know video has reached a billion views. It's actually at like 1.26 billion views. That's crazy. The only other Australians to crack a billion views is Sia at 1.78 billion views with Chandelier. Mm-hmm. And then Iggy Azalea, which this was just a feature in Ariana Grande's uh, video Problem. Uh-huh. And that was at 1.08 billion they're views. On the same record label. They're on Interscope. Uh, oh, there you go. Forced, forced friends. Interscope's doing well lately. Forced friendships. Yeah, R.I.P. Iggy Azalea, whatever happened to you. Um, anyway, so Sia, what is Gautier, Cheap, what is Gautier doing? Cheap comes after that. Sia just killing it on the chart for that. But, but what's Gautier doing? So what, What's so good about him? They have decided that they don't want any advertisement. They, and they've decided this from the very beginning, that they mm-hmm. don't want any advertisements on the Somebody That I Used To Know video. It's sold over 13 million copies in the US and the UK. Mm-hmm. But they've decided that they don't want... They don't want to monetize their YouTube plays, basically. Yeah, and I think his quote about it was, we don't want to be a part of the, hey, buy this market. Right. So Yeah, so that's cool. So Gautier doesn't want his music or the, the band's music. I, th- I believe it's just him. Uh, his music. It is just him, yeah. But yeah, uh, he doesn't want to be part of that, and that's really cool. So, so that inspired... Good guy number one. Good guy, Greg. <laughs> good guy number one, and that inspired this whole segment, so... Good guy, Gautier. Good guy, Gautier. GGG. Yeah, good guy, Gautier. We got another one here. We were looking these up after a while, because I was like, you know, now that I read this, I can think of a lot of scenarios where I feel like artists have used their power to for good. Absolutely, and w- that is not celebrated enough. Because people always see, hey, oh, that rock star threw the TV, you know, out the window and trashed the rooms and all this kind of like negative yeah, stigmas. Yeah, or with right now, you know, current culture, he raped this person yeah, or he was yeah. with this underage such and such or she was, you know, exactly. drugging yeah. people and stealing so their wallets, these, XYZ. These, these negative nuggets it always seems like everything juicier. is so batshit yeah, and really negative. Everybody wants to talk about all this bad stuff that's happening and because that's a really it's a really juicy story. Yeah, right? but you know what also is juicy? All the good shit that yeah, but people are doing. They don't talk about it enough. So and we're gonna talk about we're, it. Yeah, we're doing that for you guys. All right. So Megan, what do you got? I see you got this Grateful Dead info. Yeah, yeah. What do you this is to, pretty what do you cool. Um I heard about this a while ago and I I never had looked up the authenticity of it, to be honest with you, until I brought it up with Pat today saying, I remember hearing about this, but now we've looked it up and it's confirmed. I've got a picture of it right here. Basically, I remember hearing that Grateful Dead had distributed a flyer to its security at shows where it basically taught the security how to handle someone who was on acid. And I think that's super important. If you've ever been to a festival or anything modern, electronic music or jam band, whatever, Yeah. You know, you're going to see a person once in a while who's maybe taken a little bit too much of something or is having a bad experience with something for one reason or another. And uh, it will happen. You will see that. And Mm -hmm. it's not I'm not even too taken aback by it anymore because I think I'm so almost desensitized to you see it. it. But but yeah. So, I mean, that being said, despite me seeing it, it's never my problem to deal with it. Right. So I think it was really cool that Grateful Dead distributed these flyers because it, it basically lays out a way for it, it explains what the drug is and how it affects somebody. And it also 
tells people how to react to these people, things to do, things not to and do. And this is the security, right? Like Yes, this there, is distributed this is, only is to, security. to security. So for example, it has two boxes. The left box says pleasurable experience, and it's describing what would be a pleasurable experience for someone who's on LSD. These guests should be observed, but left alone or with their friends. So it says mm-hmm. that right off the bat. So don't bother these people. And says they may sit or recline in a trance-like state, may dance or spin with intricate but repetitive hand motions, <laughs> feel that items touching their skin's, skin are heavy, increase sensuality. Okay. So again, they're saying, you know, like oh. if you notice these and this things, is back. you I mean, can a lot watch of people, them. A lot of people know this stuff now. This is back in the 70s. Right. Well, okay, for sure. But no, I, I think, yeah, signs of what it looks like when someone's tripping. Yeah, everybody knows that. How right. to de-escalate that? That's a whole another story. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so upsetting experience. When they say you should notify the medical people uh, and do not make contact with the guests. Mm-hmm. They may be combative, posing danger to themselves or other guests, disregards the presence and personal space of other people, poor judgment, obviously, acting on increased sensuality, removing clothes. And I've seen that like so many times that there's like a naked dude oh running my. through the festival. Oh my God. The you, guy am I wrong, at, dude? Dude, the guy at Infrasound oh, side story. That wasn't even the one I was thinking of. The guy at Infrasound who got naked and started having sex with the mud and they had to take him out. There was that. Oh, and there was when that I was guy. at um, Wave Spell last year, there was somebody, there was this guy that ripped his clothes off in the middle of the crowd just running around and punching people, I guess. Oh, what? Yeah, That's and confused, cool. disoriented. They had to tackle him, and then he like took off running from the med tent. It was like a whole thing. Dang. That was the one I thought of when I was reading this. But anyway, so uh, they even say, don't refer to guests as tripping, especially in their presence. They should be, re- be referred to as IPR, intense psychedelic response patients. Approach them calmly. Do not make them feel surrounded. Uh-huh. So just like and little is, tips so on how is, to just like approach a situation where you have someone who maybe is kind yeah. of off the rocker and at the this moment. This is the band uh, wanting their fans to have a good experience. So they obviously know. And they know. Yeah, obviously. Like if you guys know anything about the Grateful Dead, you know, their fans are hardcore followers. Like they, you know, they travel around the country for them. But like they just want to ensure that the security is allowing their fans to have as great of an experience as they can have at their concerts. So that's a really nice thing for them to do. Now, we're moving on to Jack Johnson. And Megan, you know more about this than I do, so why don't you explain a little bit about it? Yeah, basically, I remember hearing this as well, like in 2010, and it's it's carried on. He's continued to do it, but he has been making his rider. So uh, if you don't know what a rider is, it's essentially something that's submitted to the venue or the promoter, so that they're able to accommodate your technical and hospitable hospitality needs right. prior to you showing up to the venue. So, you know, if you want water, if you want some booze, mm-hmm. if you want some food, um, just for sustenance, whatever. Right. Yeah. If you like want X, Y, Z, and yeah. then you need, you know, such and such and such on stage, so you yeah, can plug your, technic, your stuff. Your tech in, you know? rider, and then your that's just the, the very yeah. short of it. Exactly. So he basically, when you, I mean, the bigger that you become, the more budget your rider has. Yeah. And so people are apparently, like I said, using their power for good here where Jack Jack was reading articles about how um, the top 100 tours in the U.S. in 2015 sold an estimated 60 million plastic water bottles during their shows. Ish. So um, and 130 million paper goods were used. So he decided to change his writer 
So yeah, like his new shows would feature things like water refill stations. So people would be encouraged to bring their own water bottles so that, you know, we're not contributing mm-hmm. to that huge carbon footprint. Um, also reusable pints. So customer can customers can buy a beer in a like souvenir cup and then get a dollar discount every time they bring it back. Okay, so there's incentive. Yeah, and also replacing light bulbs with like eco bulbs. Eco-friendly, yeah, yeah. longer lasting. And you know, doing things like less that. Less power lights. Yeah, and I guess that when he, when the rider was read by the Meriwether Post Pavilion in Maryland, they just decided to like revamp the entire facility because they were super stoked on it. So they did like a $9.5 million eco-friendly renovation. That's awesome. Yeah. So Good for him. Cool things like that. So yeah, like Good we guy, can, Jack. Good guy, Jack. And now, Chris Martin. You might know Chris Martin as that strange guy who's married to Pepper Potts or from the Iron sexiest Man. falsetto of all time. Really? Well, that's arguable. I mean, anyway, it's really good. So Chris Martin donates about 10% of his annual earnings to charity. You didn't and say who Chris Martin was. So Chris Martin, the lead singer of Coldplay, donates 10% of his annual earnings to charity and is primarily donates it to refugee charities and he's very instrumental in that and that's a big deal so we're talking about like refugees from the mediterranean area we're talking about refugees from africa we're talking about refugees from the middle east a lot of that type of stuff and it's estimated that he's saved about like ten thousand lives per year just with a lot of this money that he's donating to these charities dope dope right hashtag cold play hashtag cold play and the next person this guy you youngsters might not know him. Oh, my but God. Eric Clapton. He's an old guy now. And so Eric Clapton notoriously has had you know problems with substance abuse. So he gives about 200,000 pounds a year to drug and alcohol rehabilitation charities. And many of those he has you know helped start. And speaking of the UK, Elton John. Now, this is the big one, right? Elton John has... About in 2016, he gave 34.3 million pounds to HIV and AIDS charities, and that's about 12% of his net worth, which is really freaking crazy and very generous of him. That's a lot of money. That's done a lot of a lot of good for the HIV and AIDS research. We, again, we just wanted to reiterate that you know there's some people out there doing some good things. Okay, so just if anybody's wondering, because I was just curious about the pound to dollar ratio right now, that would be for us, $40,973,910. Crazy. That's a lot of That's money. Wild. That's a lot of money. $40 million? No way. <laughs> All right. On to a really exciting segment. This is our favorite segment lately, I think. I mean, like it's like one of the best segments. I, I think, think we're doing a public service here. We're doing a public service. Also, I like to, I like to eat I like foods. to eat while we sit here forever. Yeah. Okay. We'll just address, first of all, before we try these things, the past contests and the other things that we've tried, and maybe not just on the podcast, but also just in general, when we've been on tour or whatever, you might've seen us on Instagram stories or whatever, trying different things. Just to clarify, we're talking about M&M flavors here. We've tried the crunchy contest, which was crunchy mint, crunchy espresso and crunchy raspberry. The crunchy mint was good. Honestly, it was very thin minty. I would, I would liken it to an Andes or something. And the espresso was, you know, naturally bomb. The raspberry was kind of weird. I'm not a huge chocolate raspberry person unless it's fresh raspberries or like fresh raspberry jam. It's just me. Okay, anyway, then we also tried the nut challenge. The nut challenge. The nut challenge? Don't try that at home. They had coffee nut, chili nut, honey nut. The chili nut was 
interesting. It interesting. was the first experimentation M&M did into making a spicy M&M. A spicy nut. And it was not bad. Uh-uh. But no, it, it was definitely outrun by the coffee nut, which I would say was second. And then also, I think coffee nut was the one, the one that won. You know, so they kept it around for a hot minute. A little bit, yeah. I, I think I still see it around. Really? Yeah. And then um, honey nut, which was my personal favorite. I did enjoy honey I nut. I thought that one was fantastic. Was and if you ate the coffee nut and the honey nut together, yeah. amazing. Well, that's what they should have done. Okay, anyway. so apparently they did, they did a Halloween costume. Or costume? <laughs> they did a Halloween contest last year. Yeah. They did candy corn, cookies and scream, and pumpkin pie. Cookies and scream? I love that. That's so funny. I think I did buy some of those. Were they good? Yeah. I think they were all right. I think they were too heavy on the cream part. I would have liked more of the chocolate part. And I think it would be more, it would be better served as a crunchy M&M, which I don't say often because I don't really like crunchy M&Ms. All right. So now. So That's we tried a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago, maybe like a even couple a couple months ago, ago, we tried the Mexican jalapeno peanut M&M's. Yes, we Wait, did. Wait, it wasn't even That was only ago. a couple, that was just a couple a episodes dickhead. ago. That was just with Jimmy because he said, you know, if you want to cough before you talk, eat this M&M. <laughs> anyway. So yeah, we, we weren't huge fans of that one, but I was driving right, while right. I was traveling in Wisconsin. I went into the gas station and I found them. You found them. What are they? Toffee nut? No. What is it? English toffee peanut and Thai coconut peanut. Ah. All right. So let's try these bad boys. All right. Here you go, Pat. Which which one am I trying here? You're trying the English toffee and I'm going to try the Thai coconut. Wait, let's both try the English toffee at the same time. Okay. Here. Here's a okay. piece of candy there for you. Ooh, piece of candy. Ooh. All right. All right, here we go. Ready? Mm-hmm. You know what? This English toffee nut is pretty fucking good. It's so good. I would eat this. I would eat this on the reg. Okay. I can, I don't, I think it's less toffee and more almost butterscotch. There's a little but butterscotch. I taste also to it. feel like now the aftertaste here, I feel like I just ate a maple bar. Yeah. Which it's is like, like my favorite donut. So it's got a, I'm yeah. really on board with this. M&M. Yeah. It does taste like a maple donut. I just ate a maple bar. I'm so happy right now. Man. Now that you say that, that's what that flavor is. Mm-hmm. Wow. Woo. All Woo. Right. Okay, we got to take a That's drink gonna... to clear our palate. Cheers. I'm going to take a moment here to clean, clear You guys, if you see the toffee, the English toffee peanut M&M, Go buy that buy, shit. dude. You will not be disappointed. All right. All right what do we, we go. got? Thai, Thai coconut. coconut nut. So is it double nut? Coconut nut? Coconut peanut. Coconut peanut. Okay. And I don't think either are technically nuts. Which is funny. That is funny. Yeah, because a peanut's technically a legume. Yes, it is. And a it's coconut. It's a bean. It's a, a coconut. hard bean. What is a coconut technically called? It's a droop. It's a droop? Okay. We just asked Siri. It's a one-seeded droop. A coconut is a droop, and a peanut is a legume. But it can be all three, a fruit, a nut, and a seed. What? So the coconut is all three things. Fascinating. Okay, Let's here we try go. try this coconut. To the Thai coconut peanut M&M. All right. And I got the coconut. You know That's what? That's bomb too. It reminds me of like um, it reminds me of uh, Thai food. It has that like um, coconut milk taste. It's delicious. It's really good. If you, I think if I you like see the, that one, you should get that one too. Yeah, <laughs> I recommend both of these. I don't recommend Mexican jalapeno. Yeah, that one sucked. Yeah, Jimmy really these, said it best when he said it. Just makes your it's not even like spicy. It just like gives you this scratchy feeling in the back of your throat, basically. Yeah, uh, I think the winner has to be English 
toffee. I think nut that's or subjective. Um, well, of course it's subjective. If but you like sweet things, if you like sweet things, I don't know. I said one. that. If you like sweet things, get the English toffee. If you don't, get the Thai coconut. Because I've everyone I've shown these mm. has said that exact thing. If mm. they don't like sweet things, they hate the, the toffee. I like sweet things, man. I love that toffee. But I, I, this should be called maple bar. Oh, so good. You know, it should be called the maple bar peanut because that's what's up. If there was ever a Canadian, an international Canadian M&M, it would be that because mm. of the maple. There you go. Oh, Canada. Canadian nut. Okay. It's so good. All right. What All you right. got down here about Beyonce, Queen Bee? Wait, wait, wait. We got to try some. We got to try one more thing. Oh, fuck. All right, and the next thing we're trying today is sabritas. Mm. It's like, you said this is the same as Lay's? Yeah. Okay. So these are called Turbos, Turbos Flamas. You may have heard us trying the Doritos Flamas last week. Now we have other Flamas to compete against the Doritos Flamas. These are called Turbos. All right. Ready? I wonder if they're the exact same. They could be. Are they very red? Oh, they're spirally. They're spirals, yeah. Oh they no, look like... these look like death and dying. All right, ready? Holy fuck. Cheers. Cheers, fuck. They're really good. These are fucking, these are fucking great. <laughs> I would smash these. You want these are like, one? Mm-hmm. <laughs> these are like the Fritos version of yeah. the other Flamas. These are better. Like, okay, I don't often say that Doritos have been beat, but Doritos got beat by these. Damn. Turbos Flamas. You guys, you see these at a gas station? You got to pick them up. These are really Whoa. good. These are really good. I might stop at a gas station on the way home from this and just buy in bulk. Those are so good. I mean, like kind of dying, but mm. I'm very white. But <clears throat> They're really good. Oh, really good. Okay. Oh, right. girl. All right. I got to cleanse my palate ah. here a little bit. This shit is good. I could literally just like, it's like one of those things that's like hot. So you're just going to keep eating it because exactly. like, if you keep eating it, it's like the full hotness doesn't kick in. Right. You have to keep eating to but stop But like now I'm not eating it. So now it's like hot. Ah, take a drink of that grapefruit White Claw. Mm, okay. <laughs> Send us free White Claw. All right. Next. Anyway, next. So real briefly, apparently Disney apparently. was- Apparently. Disney was so happy and satisfied with what Beyonce, the work that she did uh, on the Lion King soundtrack- that they have basically green-lighted any project she wants to do. Think about how incredible that is. They're like, whatever you want to do, Beyonce, you want to make a movie? Cool, we'll fund it. What do you think she'll do? Whatever you want to do, Beyonce, you want to make your own Beyonce theme park? We're going to do it. Whoa! Whatever you want to do, Beyonce, you want to make your own Disney Channel uh, tween TV show? We're going to give you that money. Whatever you want to do, Beyonce, you want to record your next album on Disney records cool now i wonder what what is she gonna do i wonder what she's gonna do beyonce theme park heard all right yeah we got a really cool guest coming up here but before we do that we want to just say if you guys have any questions ever that you feel like would be good questions for just us to ask artists in general like things that you feel like you would want to ask or if you have a question for us let us know yeah i guess so if you have a question for us you can email us mhbgreenroompodcast at gmail.com. What was that again? MHB? Yeah. MHB Green Room Podcast at gmail.com. Boom. Yeah. And 
Also, you know what? If you see some weird food out there and you just don't want to try it, you want us to try it, hit us up. Email us. Email if you us. have a guest that you think would be really dope, email us. Email us. Come Boom. On. All right. And here we go. Our first guest tonight is... Introducing special guests. Let's do this. You're listening to Green Room Podcast. Hey, this is Co Paris, and you're listening to the Green Room Podcast.
Corey, thank you so much for joining us on the Green Room Podcast. It's been a hot minute since I've seen you. I think it was in like 2013 that I saw you in person for the first time. Um, I used to actually be in a group called Menage Quad, and we opened for you at the Muse in Minneapolis. Yeah. I don't know if you remember that. <laughs> it's like uh, so long ago. It's weird y- to think about. But. Yeah, I, I remember that. Yeah. Not fully, but... Yeah, no. I, there, yeah. Things become such a blur when you're touring like that. But yeah. that was um, the first time that I remember meeting you. And I think it was the first time I saw you live as well. So that was super exciting because I had been really into your Play That Funky Music remix. Aww. So <laughs> I was hella hype on that. Thank you. Yeah, of course. But anyway, um, we're super stoked to have you in this week. We both really dig your new album, Galaxies Within Us. If people haven't checked that out yet, go check it out after the podcast. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I wanted to talk to you about... A few things. Midi Sprout is my biggest point of interest, actually. So yeah. um, I guess I'll explain to people kind of I saw I saw you working on or working with this sort of hardware that has been developed to, I mean, essentially pull the frequencies from plants and create sound design from those. I mean, you'll be able to explain it a lot better than I can. But yeah, um, well, so essentially what it does is you have two little um, connectors on it that you can connect electrodes to, or you can connect these little, like, uh, they almost look like mini jumper cables. And essentially like what the MIDI sprout is doing is it's just taking the, um, like the low level voltage from a plant, or you can even just hold it in your hand. And since your body is creating a low level voltage and it's constantly changing that fluctuation then turns into a MIDI note. So then you plug it into the computer and you have, you know, it seems it's it's like seems random, like once you plug it in, because, you know, depending on the plan or depending on if you're holding it, there will be just a whole slew of MIDI notes. Um, but it's really it's like a really, really fun um, idea generator. And also just hooking it up to plants is like it's it's pretty wild because all plants have different kind of. I don't know if you'd call it like a sound signature, because it's not I mean, you're not getting sound directly from the plant. You know, you're getting the MIDI, but then with that MIDI, you then make sound. Yeah, it's it's really, really cool. It's been really, really fun to experiment with and and just use, you know. Yeah, that was like mind-blowing for me to see you doing that. And yeah, you made um, Venus Flytrap. Yeah. <laughs> with that? Yeah, that yeah which was, was so kind cool. of, it was kind of a dare, honestly, because my manager was like, you have to make a you have to make like a Venus flytrap song like with the MIDI sprout like make a trap and we'll get a Venus flytrap so we did and it was actually hard to find Venus flytraps and I lived down in Florida and I figured that they would grow down here but they're not yeah you would think so yeah no. you would think so no. but um, the only ones we found were actually like at Walmart and they're like these like little they're already like grown, but they're very very small right so it was it was tricky just to get the MIDI but once once I did, like with the thing that's weird about Venus flytraps is that they're um, they only eat they get like all their energy from flies. So as opposed to using photosynthesis, which I believe they still do a little bit, but that's not where they get the majority of their energy. So when you plug it into the MIDI sprout, there's pretty much no activity at all until you trigger the trap on it. Interesting. to trigger the trap, you have to like they have these little they almost look like little hairs on the inside. And if one of those hairs gets touched 
it's like two or three times within like 30, I want to say it's around 30 seconds, then it'll close. Like if you just tap one once and don't yeah. do anything else, it doesn't register, it doesn't do anything. But once it um, feels like a few, you know, like a fly, you know, that would be on there and moving around, like then it'll mm. close. And then when it closes, it does this crazy like crescendo um, down, which is why like in the Venus Flytrap song, like the, you know, the lead is kind of that, that is mostly what's from the Venus Flytrap. So it's like that. And there's, I mean, I can't really yeah. <laughs> acapella it. That but is that, so cool. That's I'm like mind blown right now. It's called, uh, those little hairs are called uh, cilias, right? Is that, do I remember that from high school science? Holy shit, Pat. Maybe, yeah. I think cilias. Yeah, I'm not sure. That's that sounds good. Yeah, it sounds about right. Sounds accurate. But, but that's, this whole uh, concept of, of this thing is is fascinating to me. So did you uh, put the sensors then in like, I, I don't know what to call it, the, the jaws or the They're mouth? They're totally of, called cilia, by I, the way. Nice, yeah. <laughs> I, remember sci- I remember science class. Awesome. Yes. Uh, thanks, thanks, Ron Kiefer. I know you're not listening to this. Oh my God. Uh, Ron, Ron Kiefer was my sci- high school science teacher. <laughs> Biology. Uh, but uh, so did you put the, the sensors then for the uh, MIDI sprout in, um, I, for lack of a better term, the jaws of the, the yeah. flytrap? Yeah, like on the, yeah, yeah, like the mouth, like on the, each side. Okay, cool. Crazy. Awesome. So yeah, then did so you, cool. uh, did, is for the song Venus Flytrap, um, obviously you use that uh, kind of like downward crescendo that you were referencing. Did you use any other part of the plant or did you uh, gather any MIDI information in other parts of the song? Um, no, it's pretty much, I mean, that's pretty it. Cause like the songs, it's, uh, it kind of like repeats a lot. It's very, very simple, you know, and that's the mm-hmm. thing about like really good trap music. And that's, that was why I wanted to try to make like a, just like a really heavy like trap song because it's you know the bass note it's one bass note and there's another section that has like you know i don't know three or four bass notes Mm -hmm. um so it's mainly just that like using that crescendo midi because again like it doesn't produce like some plants you hook up the midi sprout to and it's just you know hundreds of notes within you know 30 seconds 60 seconds and that just continues on but with the you know, the fly trap, it's very, you know, once you trigger that thing, the, or the cilia, mm-hmm. rather, the cilia, yes. <laughs> once you trigger the cilia, um, <laughs> then it does that crescendo and then it'll just be dead again. There won't be any information or anything. That's, yeah, that's wild. So have you used this on any other tracks, the uh, MIDI Sprout, or are you planning on in the future? Yeah. So on uh, Galaxies Within Us, uh, the, the stuff I did with Wim Hof, which I don't know if you guys are familiar with him, uh, but he like he holds the world's with the world record for being uh, submerged in ice uh, for the longest oh, time. Yes, no, I know this guy. I think I yeah. uh, I heard him on a podcast once. Yeah, he's been on Joe Rogan a few times. And, yeah, he's uh, like this uh, other... Norwegian or like Scandinavian guy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah he's yeah, yeah. he's amazing, incredible, yeah. and he uh, his whole thing is this breathing technique. And so what you do is you're doing a deep breaths in and then just kind of letting it go. And you're doing that um, in succession for about, you know, two to three minutes. Mm-hmm. And then after once you hit that two or three minute mark and then you, you release your breath and then you just hold. And essentially what it's doing is kind of from the way I understand, it's kind of like resetting your hormones and it's 
Uh, it's putting you in a uh, parasympathetic state, I believe. And you actually end up, it's like you're controlling your adrenaline because it releases all this like natural adrenaline. Um, so you're controlling this. And basically you do this like three or four times, like three or four rounds. And by the end of like the third round, at least for me, like I can go anywhere from, from like two to two and a half minutes without breathing after you do, you know, the, the breathing in, breathing out for two, three minutes. And then like when you're doing the hold, you know, you're not breathing in for like right. two minutes, which is right. crazy. So it's like a natural, it, it turns into like a natural psychedelic state. Um, but anyways, that being said, uh, Wim Hof was generous enough to um, just send me some like voice clips uh, for the album. And he's on like the first song. And then one of the other tracks is called Breathing In and Letting Go. And that's him He's like doing kind of like a walkthrough of the breathing exercise. He's like saying a few things and he's just like breathing in and letting go. Mm -hmm. And so what I did for that song is I used the MIDI Sprout, like hooked it up to the computer. Um, I think the tempo on that song is at 50 BPM. And that so at 50 BPM, it's a pretty good like rhythm to be doing that breathing exercise. of just like the... Like you're able to do that on like the one and the two of the beat. Okay. So anyways, I, in that song, it's basically me recording the MIDI of my own body while doing the breathing exercise. And that's what the, the sort of chords and kind of loose, it almost sounds like a loose, like arpeggiator um, music. And then it kind of goes into like a, the main like riff thing. So that's, that's one of the other uh, ways that I use the MIDI Sprout on the album. That's, that is so cool. Yeah, How did you stuff. get linked up with them? Uh, it's funny because I fo I followed him like a like a long not like a long time ago, but like over I guess at the time of doing the album, it was like over a year before that. Um, because again, I, I had watched a podcast he was on and then started doing that breathing technique, and it like did huge things for me and has like helped, helped me so much. And so I followed him and he followed me back like pretty shortly after. And I like sent him a message just said, Hey, you know, thank you, you know, for doing what you're doing. You know, it's been so great. And he was like, yeah, no problem. And so then like a year passes or whatever, and I'm doing this album. And when I got the MIDI Sprout, that was one of the things I was really interested in is like hooking it up to your body and getting this sort of biofeedback for, you know, whether it be like meditation or even like a breathing exercise like this. Mm -hmm. And so I reached out to him. I was like, hey, could you like, you know, would you want to be on my album? Like, I know <laughs> you're not like a, you know, he's he's uh, I don't even know what you would classify him as. But, you know, he's not really known for like being on. He's not like a featured artist, you know, uh, that you right, would think right. that on something. But he was totally into it. So he sent me the stuff and um, just a few recordings and I, you know, pieced everything together and it was awesome. That's amazing. Um, so are you, are you planning on using the MIDI sprout then in f the future down the road? Yeah, I think so. Maybe I don't really know for what, cause I had used it like with the album and done like some other things, um, shortly after that. But, um, you know, for me, when it comes to like production and like making music, I just always like to change things up, change up the process. So like the MIDI route was like a thing that I did for a while. And then mm -hmm. I've kind of put it down for a while, but there's, there's some interesting, some more interesting things to be done with it for sure. Mm -hmm. And again, you like using it as a, 
sort of like a way to meditate is just really, really cool because you can just hold on to those little electrodes and do your breathing. And once you're, when your mind starts to kind of wander and you, you know, you start thinking about more things, your body then is, you know, it's electricity is changing more rapidly. So you can actually hear that change. Mm -hmm. And so it's like a kind of cool, like mental, I don't know, reminder thing. I don't know. It's just just fun stuff. I'm sure I'll use it on some on some records. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, I mean it sounds like an amazing piece of uh technology. I mean clearly it is. Uh Yeah. And, and like, also I'm sorry, I I forgot cuz I was trying to think what else I used it on on the album. Uh the last song on the album that's called Random, which is a song that I actually sing on, which I was really nervous about doing, but um I just did it anyways and instead of just like singing, like there's tons of auto tune on that song. It's almost like all auto tune. But what I did is I, so use the MIDI sprout. I'm holding on to it as I'm singing and the MIDI sprouts MIDI is triggering the, like the harmony engine from auto tune. So what that does is just make, it makes like vocal harmonies from whatever MIDI you put into it. So you can like play on the keyboard and kind of do, it's like a vocoder, but it just sounds different so with random what i did was just sat down i wrote out these lyrics it all kind of just came together all at the same time and i basically just recorded the lyrics for like i don't know 45 minutes or an hour as i'm holding on to the midi sprout and just getting these random vocal harmonies and everything so record that over and over and then i took all those recordings kind of pieced together what the you know song is so Mm-hmm. all those harmonies are just generated like in the moment, like from my own body, like as I'm singing. That's crazy. It's like, it's like the, uh, the, we're bridging the gap between this like futuristic concept of the song you hear in your head. Mm-hmm. It's just like playing, you know, I, I always think about this um, family guy episode where uh, Peter has uh, music that follows him throughout the day, like, <laughs> and like mm-hmm. when we like <laughs> some womp womp, yeah, when he's walking down the street, yeah. <laughs> but um, I think you know, like when I think of the future of music, it's eventually going to be whatever you're thinking in your head is just out an output, and this is mm-hmm. almost like we're kind of bridging the gap here with the with the MIDI sprout in its own unique way. Yeah, well, and also the cool thing too is like when you hook it up to a plant. It's like all of a sudden, you know, plants essentially have been making music all along. It's just nobody has tuned like the piano right for them. You know what I mean? Whoa. Yeah. Like, it's, <laughs> like it, it, it's it's really true. It's like you have this n- new sort of like technology that's just it's just translating what the plant is already doing into music. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's I think so it, I think insane. it's more just like uncovering more stuff like that. It's like. You know, it's like everything's already here. It's, we're just like discovering it. Yeah, yeah, totally. that's insane. It also totally. makes me think of um, this like meme I saw a while ago. That's like, don't forget, drink water, get sunlight. You're basically a house plant with more complicated emotions. <laughs> oh like, yeah, no, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. That's we're vibing with our plant brothers. Well, it, it's funny you mentioned that too, because a whole you know a whole part of this. Um, galaxies within us and the whole journey to finish that was because i was living in la kind of around a little bit before i had started making the album i mean there's stuff that i had made there Uh, but anyways i i had this huge like mental breakdown big like just was 
not feeling good at all, like mm-hmm. just run down. And I, I got into some of like the science of like sunlight and um, how important that is. And then getting into like electrical magnetic fields and, you know, how that stuff can mess you up as well. And that's why I moved to Florida because the closer you are to the equator, basically you can generate more vitamin day, vitamin day, vitamin <laughs> D um, <laughs> throughout the day. So, yeah, so part, I mean, part of the making this album kind of where I'm at now, you know, has been directly influenced by, by that and spending, like, I mean, I'm outside every single day now, whereas before that was just never a thing that I thought about. And I was like wondering why, like once a month or once every two months, I would just like feel awful, you know, Mm -hmm. and just be so depressed. But it's like, you know, again, you're a more complex like houseplant. So it's like if you buy a houseplant and then like bring it home, put it in the corner and throw a tarp over it. Like, do you think it's going to grow well? Like, no, no. Nope. Yeah, for sure. So it's the same. It's the same for you, you know? Do you find that you, since you've moved, that you do feel like those, like less of those waves of, you know, depression and anxiety, et cetera? Oh yeah. No, it's, I mean, for a lack of a better term, night and day. And the pun is intended there yeah. because it is, it's, mm-hmm. yeah, no, it's changed my life for sure. And just like, being able to, you know, it's not like I just don't get upset or don't get like sad or anything, but like when I do, it like happens and then it passes. Like, it's not like, you know, I I don't drill myself into, you know, the ground anymore. And yeah, it's been amazing. It's been a lot of hard work. I'm just like changing my schedule and like figuring out what works and what doesn't, but. For sure, dude. Self-care is so hard. And like, especially like being our own boss, you know, and like, working from home, those are, those are such different values that you have to like build for yourself after you like break out of that world and like realize you're on your own schedule, but things need to get done. And also like being that it is all on you, that's so much more Mm -hmm. pressuring and it can like really send you spiraling really, really quickly. Yeah. And especially with like the lifestyle that, you know, musicians and mm-hmm. any, anybody that travels for music or anybody that's even in the nightlife scene, you know, you're not really built to be, you know, staying up until four or five in the morning, like dehydrated under all these artificial lights, you know, and then waking <laughs> up, waking up at like noon or, you know, one, like right. you've already like missed the sunrise. And that's like a big part of, you know, that, that's the main thing that's changed for me is like, I get up early in the morning, see the sunrise hang out a little bit. And then throughout the day, I'm outside for at least, you know, at least an hour. Cause like down, especially down in Florida right now, it's like, it's hot. And yeah. the, the amount of vitamin D you can generate, it's like, it's like, Oh, close to like 200 IUs per minute. Right. Whoa, I think seriously? right now I'd, ton, have, I'd have to check, but that's insane. Um, that's crazy. So yeah, which is also great though, because then you don't really like, I don't really need to be outside like that much to get my daily, you know, vitamin D, mm-hmm. but it's, just doing that. Yeah. And I mean, like you said, uh, being your own boss, you know, you have to, you have to find discipline and work on discipline. And that's very, as for most musicians, I think, uh, that's probably really, really hard because, you know, when you're making music and being creative, like you, and also just the stigma of being a musician, you know, like the, the cliche of like being like unorganized and, Mm -hmm. you know, waking up late and like, you know, I'm an artist and, you know, it's, I always like go back to the, you know, how you always hear people say, 
you know, Einstein had a messy desk and he had that because he was like such a genius. Like people use that as like a scapegoat to be really unorganized. Right. It's right. like, you're not Einstein. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. People keep misquoting him. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> he, he said everything. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. But and, yeah, I totally feel you. You're preaching to the choir when it comes to like right. waking up early, like Pat kind of test. Yeah, I, like, two P's, you I guys. go to bed at like 10 p.m. Like men, you know, like, yeah. I'm up early. I like to do it that way. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's so important. And yeah. I think like touching back on what you're saying about like being your own boss and being responsible. And a lot of people, uh, have, have this stigma about musicians being, you know, up until like five in the morning, whatever, and being disorganized. I think that was more of the case back in the seventies and eighties. That's exactly 80s what I wanted to because say. Because they a had, record man- you had uh, the industry backing you up and you could go out and quote, you know, party like a rock star and get into all these yeah, shenanigans and, your manager and you would had a manager you awake would and get your you ass on the bus now <laughs> now and even like the biggest stars even major label stars these days have to be more responsible because there have been cuts all across major record totally. industries and you don't have that type of support we've talked on about this the road actually as like a mid-level act you know um, yeah it's it's just one of those things you have to be more responsible for yourself these days even at the highest level mm-hmm. even at the highest level yeah, that's so. super interesting. I think we've talked about that before, just in like regards to like the classic rock bands and like hair right. bands and things like that, who right. you, you always see depicted as like, yeah, their manager coming into their hotel room and yeah. and dragging their like still wasted ass out of bed and throwing them on the bus. You know, <laughs> right. like, that yeah, doesn't happen. On the bus. Yeah, I mean, yeah, maybe happen. my TM will be like, Megan, get it together. Let's go. Right. But yeah, like that's funny, like the way that you phrased it, like we're not designed to be up until five in the morning, completely dehydrated under artificial lights. Like mm-hmm. it's exactly, it's, so like nice. it's like a pet shop for humans. Like <laughs> it's true. <laughs> and like the other, the other thing I think about too, like when it comes to, you know, even just working, especially working for yourself, I, I find a lot of people obsessed over this idea of like, Oh, I'm working so hard. I'm grinding so hard. And I always like keep thinking, it's like, really, there's, I don't think there's anything that we were designed to do uh, for more than six hours at a time other than sleep. Like that's really the only thing that you should be doing for that long of a time, you know? <laughs> that's so such mm-hmm. a good way to say that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I like, like remember going into one of the first producer, like home producers studios I'd ever been in. I was, I was not producing at the time. I was working for like a, I was doing some journalism shit for some like online hip hop blog or some shit. And I- mm-hmm went to somebody's house and, and walked in and it was, it was like duly inspiring as it was like eye opening. I remember seeing all of his equipment and seeing his little closet turned into a vocal booth and thinking Mm -hmm. like, holy shit, you know, you don't need a million dollars to make a studio to, to create commercial quality music. At the same time, I'll never forget seeing like the table next to his, his like studio desk was completely covered in empty PBR And I remember thinking like, oh, wow, like that's what everyone does. You know, they get fucked up and they produce bangers, you know. And so like (laughs) I remember having that mentality for a little while when I was starting out of like, I'll just get a little buzz, you know, and I'll make a banger, you know. And it just I never could create (laughs) shit. Yeah, I'd get distracted within an hour and then I'd go back to what I'd made the day afterward and be like, wow, this is so terrible. And it took me a little while to realize that like it's not it's not the way that it works. But I, I think it's different for everyone, you know, not to say that yeah, it doesn't. Sure, yeah. Some people don't. Some people can make cool shit doing that. But that wasn't for me. And it took me a while mm-hmm. to realize that, like, the cliche isn't for 
It's not an instruction manual. It's a the cliche. <laughs> the cliche is romanticized by the media mm-hmm. and by the public, totally. and it's really not how things get done. Yeah, and especially with you know dance music specifically, but you could argue almost any music uh, for the most part. Like the what most people are seeing is just like the show. Like they're at the show, everybody's mm-hmm. drinking, everybody's having a good time, mm-hmm. and so they correlate that to what everything is you know for being a musician like that's it's just a party all the time because that's the Mm -hmm. only usually on the only part of the process that like the audience is involved in yeah absolutely you know where it's kind of and you know at least for me it's like kind of like the opposite like i i don't know i'm very diligent about like how i work and when i work and how long i do work and you know, I'm, I'm not like getting fucked up while I'm doing that, mm-hmm. you know, because otherwise I just wouldn't be able to do it. Right. Um, but then to me, it's like the show is the celebration of whatever you did in the studio. Like that's like the party. So it should be, you know, it should be a good time. It's just not. That's a really yeah, cool way to think way. about it. Yeah. Yeah. I really yeah. dig that. So to like loop way back here for a second, it's funny that you brought up your track random because I had made a note here in our like interview, make sure to hit these points little list that I made mm-hmm. specifically in regards to your last track. I think it was one of my favorite tracks on the whole album. It gave uh-huh. me a lot of, um, emojin heap vibes oh, from yes. her like hide and seek song. Yes. You know, that was so big. yes. I love her. I've been obsessed with her just like forever. I was actually surprised that she didn't have a midi sprout and like do the same thing. Like I would have uh, thought that this is exactly what she would have done. You yeah. know, if she like knew yeah. about this. If I was, yeah, that's, a, that's the new thing. What well, would Emojin Heap do? Yeah. When she, when she hears this episode, she's going to go out and buy one. Oh yeah, Probably, absolutely. Right? Yeah, yeah, I she's need to listening. get one of those midi sprouts. <laughs> <laughs> and she's, she's an avid listener of our podcast. She listens every week. Yeah. WWIHD. <laughs> <laughs> she listens so much that she never wants to be on it because she doesn't want it to, to ruin her experience of listening to it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. what she keeps saying. That's so. what she emails us. <laughs> at least. It's an auto reply. <laughs> um, hey, so kind of looping back to what what you said about how humans were not designed to be up till, you know, four or five in the morning in this artificial lighting. So how do you, um, an artist on tour, when you are headlining and you're up and tearing down and getting back to the hotel four or five in the morning, how do you balance or, or like, how, how do you do that? How do you pull it off? Because it, it seems like when you're at home, you're very uh, concerned about getting enough sleep, um, going outside and, and, you know, doing normal human stuff. So how do you balance that on tour when, you know, the, the odds are stacked against you? Yeah, in a big way, too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so it's tricky. It's funny. Like once I started figuring out like, OK, when I'm home, I really do need like a schedule if I want to, you know, make music at you know, pretty consistent rate, which, you know, sometimes is the hardest thing, at least, you know, at least it was for me for the first however many years of like my career. Cause again, going back to just like cliches of, you know, it's like, oh, I'm just going to, you know, when I feel like making something like that's, you know, when I feel like I'm going to be inspired, like oh, that's yeah, when, when, start when the creativity, you know, hits yeah, me. Yeah. I need to be creative, but it's like, really, right. if you just show up every single day, like, um, you know, I'm sure you guys know this, but there's the book, the, uh, the war, on art or the war of the art. war of art yeah. yeah yeah and he talks a lot about that um is that stephen pressfield it, yeah, is, it is yes yeah okay he talks a lot about that about like basically you're like training 
yourself to, you know, be creative on, you know, almost on command because you're sitting down, discipline, showing up every single day. And if you show up every day, then, you know, how he words it, like the muse, you know, shows up. So right. anyways, what I'm trying to say is that when, so I got that schedule going, but then I noticed when I would go on tour, like for the first, however while, like it would, like tour would wreck me even more than before because now my body's used to this sort of rhythm and now I've just completely, you know, thrown that away for, you know, whatever, a weekend. And so it'd be Mm kind of hard to recover. But, um, since then, I mean, for me, I don't know, I stretch a lot. I drink so much water. Um, I'm wearing my blue blockers pretty much everywhere, you know, try to do like walks and stuff or get little naps when I can. And, I try not to, I'll, I'll actually try not to sleep in too much. Like, I mean, if I have some time and it's like, it's going to be the only time I get to sleep for, you know, the next like 24 hours, like I'll sleep, but I'll, I'll try to be as close to like my home schedule as possible, which is mm-hmm. pretty tricky. And outside of that, you know, if there's, if there's a place to go outside and just like take my shoes off and just like touch the earth for a bit like that that helps a lot. And I've been, I've been traveling with this little device that's called blue shield. It's called a B L U shield. And as far as I know, this is the only like device that does this, but it uses scalar waves and puts out. So I can't really get into like what, cause I don't even really understand what scalar waves. I just know it's that certain frequencies in this thing, so basically, this thing produces a bunch of different frequencies, like every thirty seconds or so. I think it's like fifteen to thirty seconds. And what those frequencies are doing are basically resetting, you know, for lack of a better term, like your body's antenna. And it's it, clinically, it's like reduced inflammation. Um, it makes your blood just less clumped together, like your blood cells. Mm. Um, and that helps a lot just on flights and being in a hotel rooms, you know, just being around all the Wi-Fi and all that stuff. Um, that's made right. a huge, huge difference. And yeah. you feel like that's like totally like pal- like palpable and not like placebo yeah. at all? No, absolutely. I mean, I guess if, if it is, even is placebo, then like it's still working. It's still working. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's still even working. if it is, yeah, placebo, yeah. Yeah, yeah but I mean, there's... if. If anyone's interested in that, there's uh, the Lifestylist did a um, an episode with the founder of that company, um, and he really breaks down the science of it, um, and that's that's what convinced me to get one because they're not cheap. And I, I have the the uh, the big the big one uh, for like home use in the house, and then I have the little portable one that I take with me. Um, but that that really has made a big difference. Cool. Yeah, I'm on their website right now. It looks really interesting. I guess I was not aware of their making devices to deter EMF. Yeah, it's interesting because it doesn't actually block any of the EMF. It's just resetting your body's um, reaction to an EMF. Because essentially, if you're around um, something that's emitting EMF, you know, after like 30 seconds or so, your body detects it as a threat because it's just constantly coming. And then it forces your body's like hormone, your hormones will like balance themselves out according to that stress, but you're still getting that stressor, uh, which then causes like weak immune systems, you know, low dopamine, all this, um, all these issues. So with, with the blue shield, from my understanding, you're just kind of resetting your, um, the stress response. Yeah. That makes Mm. sense. Kind of like a beta blocker. I don't know. 
Yeah, that's cool. So yeah, moving on a little bit, I wanted to ask you what probably a lot of people wanted to ask you for this interview. I wanted to ask you about your name change. Um, Mm -hmm. I recall, you know, when when the the unfortunate incident happened in Paris with the mass shooting, you changed your name to Chill Harris, I believe. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I just wanted to like chat with you about, I guess, the mentality behind changing that in the first place and then the mentality of deciding to change that back and like how you feel like it like affected branding maybe or like just things like that yeah well i mean i should say first that the name kill paris has nothing to do with paris the city you know it comes from uh romeo and juliet uh where paris is like the guy that's like arranged to be wed to juliet and romeo is like the scrub guy who mm-hmm. loves juliet juliet loves him but they're not supposed to be together um and then romeo and paris end up getting in a fight and even though romeo doesn't want to he ends up killing um paris and so that that to me cuz that's kind of like who i am like as a person mm-hmm. like i'm like kind of like the underdog guy i've always kind of felt that way and always you know, growing up, like being a skateboarder and everything and boom, fuck nowhere, Indiana, like was pretty tough. So, so yeah, so the, the Paris attacks happened and which it was like just devastating, especially because it happened at a music venue. Mm-hmm. That's right. It's just That's like, right. it was like terrible. And, um, essentially what had happened is like, I was starting to get like up until that point, basically all of the interactions that I had with people online, like people's comments or messages was just like the most positive stuff because like all of my music for the most part, like I think 90% of my songs have the word love in the title and in the song, you know, cause that's kind of like what, again, going back to Romeo and Juliet, like it's about like true love. It's about truth and, and true love. That's always been, you know, kind of my, my thing as a, uh, as an artist, whatever. Mm-hmm. So I started getting like basically people saying like, this is your fault. And like, this is all because of you. Like I got just really, really Whoa. nasty stuff. Like that's ridiculous. Yeah, that's wild. And I just didn't like know what to do. Cause I was like, well, no, it's like, it's, I mean, it has like nothing to do with me. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and so I decided to change the name, which was like a really, like, I don't know, I, I guess at the time it was like kind of like what needed to happen mm-hmm. just in terms of the information I had and what was going or what seemed to be going on. Um, and it was actually in the middle of a tour that um, I was doing with Manic Focus in Illinium. And it was like on one of our breaks and then like one of the sh- like the next show after the attacks had happened, um, like the people were saying like, oh yeah, we're not gonna, like we can't put the name on the, you know, the marquee. Like we can't put Kill Paris out there. Sure. And so it's kind of started to snowball from there. And we're like, okay. Mm. So basically I changed my name like in the middle of a tour, like which is crazy. Yeah. And I mean, we ended up, you know, finishing the shows and whatever, but that was like a really kind of scary time. But through that, through like the name change, like that's when as far as like depression and all that really like started to to hit me and drive me into this really, really dark place for about like a year, year and a half, well, even maybe like two or three years technically of like getting all the way, you know, out of it kind of where I am now. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but it was interesting because like kind of what I learned from that whole experience is that I had been so lucky before then of just doing amazing shows, you know, playing Red Rocks, you know, touring with Zed, getting to do just all these like amazing things. And so I had essentially like deposited all my self-worth into what I did for a living, like into Kill Paris. Like that was all I ever did. That was all, that was my whole identity. Mm -hmm. Uh, My ego, everything is all wrapped up into that. Mm -hmm. And then one day that just goes away. Right. Yeah. It's, and, that's got to be crazy. Yeah. So like from there, like, I mean, like I said, it drove me into like a huge depression, but it was such a, an interesting experience just because that gave me more perspective on like, okay, like, you know, this is not who you are. This is something you do, but it's not you. Like you put yourself in it, but it's also not you. Yeah. It's like, mm-hmm. it's just like a thing you do. Um, so so yeah, and then I was living in Colorado at the time and then uh, went through like a really bad breakup shortly after the name change thing. Um, I raised it pores, up, man. Yeah, and then uh, moved back to, to LA for the second time and um, just talked it over with the people I was working with at the time. And, you know, a lot of fans really wanted it back. And as Chill Harris, the only thing I put out was this uh, remix that I did for Grizz um, which actually was supposed to come out the day that the attacks happened. Um, but yeah. they were like, yeah, you know, we can't really, we don't want to put this out, you know, with Kill Paris on it as all this is happening. And I was like, yeah, you know, fair enough. Sure. Um, sure. So essentially my like musical output, I didn't, I really couldn't do anything like as I was Chill Harris because I was just, you know, psychologically and emotionally trying to figure out like, wait, you know, having like a, mm-hmm. a quarter life crisis, like, wait, wait, who am I? Like, what have I been doing? Like mm-hmm. where, you know, where's like the solid ground? Um, so once I moved back to LA, um, you know, discussed it with my manager at the time and, you know, a lot of fans wanted the name back, like a lot of OG fans. And, you know, I was like, you know, enough time has passed. And like, you know, when I changed the name, I kind of explained that it's like, it doesn't have anything to do with Paris, you know, which is hard for people to understand. But then at the same time, it's like, that's what the name means is like, you know, with Romeo wanting to be with Juliet, like the easy thing would be for Juliet just to marry Paris. Cause that's, what's all set up and everything, but that's not mm-hmm. what either of them really wanted to do. Right. And so, you know, again, like that's kind of like the name, like, I hope that the name inspires people to like figure out what it means you know, like that's kind of the whole point of it is like to look into it, to not just like, just take it for, for what you think it is, like actually like look into it. So, um, so yeah, then we, uh, changed the name back and I released the song junkie, which is like the saddest, like, I almost can't even listen to that song anymore. Cause it's very depressing. <laughs> it's very sad. It reminds, it reminds me of those times as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but moving forward, you know, for branding and everything, like I, I feel like in a sense, like the name, it's like almost been a way for me to not get too big, which is partially like by design because I really, I don't want, like I've, I've had little glimpses of like what it's like to just be like huge and be making all this money and playing all this stuff. But I really don't like all that, the stuff that surrounds that. 
and also trying to interact with too much people. Like I much prefer like smaller shows and everything. So, you know, I don't know, moving forward, who knows, like, you know, I'm sure Kill Paris will end eventually, but I'm always going to be making music. So it could be like a side project thing at some point, like, or just like, Mm. you know, ending Kill Paris and then moving on with like, you know, something under a different name. I don't know. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You answered that question so well. You hit like every single point. So thank (laughs) Thank you. you. That was awesome. Uh, Yeah. And you you were talking about playing smaller shows. I actually saw you in Minneapolis. You were, you just played here this past weekend, but you were here pretty recently before that at a a smaller, it was a smaller show, more intimate Mm -hmm. show, which I thought was really cool. And I saw you there at a a venue called uh, Barfly. Mm -hmm. And uh, personally, I've put the barf in Barfly a few times. (laughs) The barf. I've I've done that once or twice. Um, But anyway, no, I thought that was fantastic. And I thought that was a really cool um, thing for you. Was that intentional for you to play a smaller show or did they they bring you in on that type of a thing? Well, we were, I think we were like going to do the loft upstairs, but they weren't really show or weren't really show. They weren't really uh, sure uh, because there's like a bunch of other shows going on. I think I don't remember what ticket sales were. Um, But what's funny is this last time I played in the loft and I think I much prefer playing in Barfly than the loft. Yeah. Even though the the loft is amazing for just like banging it out and like, you know, play like just back to back tracks. But, more so now, like I really like talking to the crowd and like, it's like almost turned into, there's like a little stand up stuff almost like that I do in my sets. So just like, I just like interacting with the crowd and talking to them, um, right. which at that show at Barfly, um, I got to do and actually had to do because the power on my side of the stage, like went on and off like four times, like during my set. So it kept like stopping and and starting um but yeah and then so you were just jumping on the mic then when that was happening yeah jumping on the i jumped on the mic um like the first time because not all the power went out and then like the whole thing went out and then i just like went down into the crowd and just started talking to people and like taking pictures and you know doing whatever because like Mm -hmm. to me like that's i mean i love playing a set and everything but i really enjoy like talking to the people like face to face and like hearing that you know the stories that people tell me like it's just, mm-hmm. it's great. Like that's the most rewarding thing for me is like this face, FaceTime, like with the people that are like paying your bills essentially, you know what I mean? Right. And you know what I've always found like to be the most satisfying aspect of playing music and touring around is uh, the various people that you meet and yeah. being able to go to cool places and, and see how other people are like around the country. You know, mm-hmm. you might not be familiar with Billings, Montana, but then you go there and you're like, okay, that's kind of cool. Uh, like, well, let's not like p- put that on Billings. Uh, okay, we're not going to call Billings. I'm from cool. Montana, so I'm not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, you know what I mean? Like you get, you get to yeah. go to all these places that you would never probably go to before and uh, you get to hear the different stories that people have, whether it be a fan of yours or just some person who works at the restaurant that you're eating at, you know, yeah. or like the bartender, like you go grab a drink or whatever. And like, you get to hear some, some cool perspectives on, um, on their lives and their stories. And I, I've always found that to be, uh, I didn't know it was going to be, but I've always found it to be the most fascinating part of playing music around and touring. Yeah. Around. And it's also, it's real. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's a real thing. Like, especially now with just how much we're, we've all kind of offloaded our interactions to the online world and like texting with people and all that stuff and like Instagram right. and all that, like none of that stuff is really 
real. Like it seems real, but when you talk to someone like face to face, like even this like last trip I had, like I had so many just kind of fun and like goofy interactions with like people at the airport and just like, Mm -hmm. I mean, just like normal people. But like, I don't know, that stuff to me is like so fun. Like if you can get someone who's just doing, you know, they're doing the same job over and over. But if you can like say something just to kind of break their, I don't know, it's not even like a tension, but like you'll see, you'll see this like kind of light in people's eyes. Like when, you know, you just said something like unexpected and maybe it's funny. It makes right. them laugh, you know, that they, mm-hmm. they're so used to just like saying, Oh, hi, how are you? Good. Yeah. It kind of it breaks their, no, their routine, okay. I guess. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that, that stuff is so fun. I, I love doing that. And I love making just people kind of like look up and be like, huh? Like <laughs> what just happened? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I actually, I, I bartend and, uh, I kind of do that from time to time too. I mean, you kind of get into a rut of, just saying, hey, here's some menus, yeah. here's your water, blah, 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 blah. What do you guys want? But um, if you can, like, take the time to actually just, you know, chat with people, you can kind of do the same thing, too, and make, like, them as a customer make kind of, like, their eyes light up or their eyebrow yeah. raise a little bit and be like, oh, that was kind of a weird thing to say or, like, <laughs> you know. That's a weird thing to say. <laughs> yeah, that's a weird thing this bartender just said. But, like, you can get, a, like, a, an interaction with them. It's, yeah. uh, it's way more rewarding and it actually makes, you know, um, the job go by much easier. Yeah. And I think, I think people are starved for that, whether they know it or not mm-hmm. now, like people are like, just like a real one-to-one, like no hidden agendas in the conversation. No one's trying to win likes or anything, you know, for lack of a better term, like we're just right. talking, you know, mm-hmm. which is why podcasts again, why podcasts are so huge now, you know, cause there's not, not many people are sitting down to have uninterrupted conversations for you know, an hour to three hours. Yeah, that's a very good uh, yeah, point. Yeah, I guess I've not ever thought about that. I don't like ever invite people over just to like talk to me. For, yeah, like, two hours. Like, you want to come over yeah, and you don't think about talk. that. <laughs> yeah, like I guess I've never thought about that. That's yeah, it's like it's, it's just a different era, you know, like w- there's so much noise out there now <laughs> with social media and like all these different apps. And it's like it's it, it can be like really overwhelming to people, whether there's they know it or noise, not. Yeah. There's just a lot of so, noise out there. Corey, what's your stimulus. favorite podcast then? What would you recommend? people Ooh. um besides I mean, this one of course yeah besides this one yeah well i didn't <laughs> i didn't want to just copy imaging heap yeah cool um, emojin yeah <laughs> imaging <laughs> uh you know i i'm pretty current on all the joe rogan stuff i love his podcast um i, I love that because there's you know he's such a good interviewer and there's just so many different people Mm-hmm. You know that he uh, that he has on. Um, outside of that, uh, tell him Steve Dave. I don't know if you guys have heard of that. It's like the guys from Comic Book Men and one of the guys from Impractical Jokers. Sounds it's just funny. a goofy, yeah, just f- guys in their forties being guys in their forties um, talking <laughs> about comic fun. books and stuff. <laughs> um, and then other than that, there's like some video game stuff that I'll listen to. You know, I really I enjoy Jordan Peterson's podcast, especially the. Uh, he did the whole series on the Bible um, from okay. like a psychological perspective. That's just like mind blowing. Wow. Really? I really want to listen to that. Now. I'll have to check that out. I've, I've had a, or I've, I've listened to some of the Joe Rogan episodes where he's a guest mm-hmm. and uh, those have always fascinated me. I guess I didn't even know he had his own podcast. Yeah. Check that it's one just out called the, the Jordan B. Peterson podcast, I believe. Cool. And he's had some really cool people on there too. He had this uh, musician, Akira something. 
Okay. I think it was his name. I don't know. It's on, it's on YouTube and I think also his podcast, but that, that was like super, super cool. One of my, uh, one of my favorites that I've been listening to lately is a, a newer podcast called, uh, Dr. Drew after dark. And it's like a Isn't reboot. Isn't that endorsed by your mom's house? It is. It's under like, yeah. so your mom's house is a really funny podcast. If you just yeah, like, yeah, Tom I really Samora like and, their podcast with yeah. Dr. Drew. So that's cool that oh, he has his own now. Yeah. So but they gave, I like them they like started too. producing his own show and it's kind of like a reboot of love line. So he'll have like, it's like usually an hour long and he'll have a guest on and they'll talk about the guest for like a half hour. And then they answer uh, questions usually related to like sexual health mm-hmm. and uh, that type of stuff. And, it, you know, it's pretty entertaining and semi-educational, I guess you could say. <laughs> I really like <laughs> Drew it's Pinsky, dude. Like, I didn't know ever that he was such a... I mean, like, most of, most of the time when I think of, like, these TV personalities that are, like, on shows like Love Lines and Cheaters right, and shit, you right. know, I'm thinking of, like, your fooligan, like, Dr. Phil idiots. Yeah, yeah, That are like, yeah, you yeah. are hey, Dr. Phil's a legend. Like, <laughs> How dare you? Oh, in God. his own, in his own lane. In his own, yeah, own. yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah. On his own psychological, like he's um, not even on the same. I mean, he's capitalistic agenda of a television show. Right. Yeah. Right. Sure. Yeah, he's but like, cool. no, Doctor Drew but is actually shocked. really like educated. And, yeah, he has like multiple doctorates. He actually knows about shit. And I was surprised yeah. by that. I guess I just expected him to be another television bimbo. I did too. And when I, I first yeah. heard him like talk with the Seguras, or I guess yeah. she didn't take his last name, but whatever. Yeah. I was surprised. But um, I heard about this really cool one the other day that I've yet to check out, but it sounds really awesome. It's put on YouTube by um, this channel called The Corridor Crew. And hmm. they do um, VFX artists watching different CGI and they talk oh. about it. So they'll have them watch like really bad CGI and really good CGI. And they'll just mm-hmm. sit on this couch and talk about like why it's bad or like why it's really good mm. or what could have been done better X, Y, Z. I mean, like, for example, they go over Will Smith as the genie on Aladdin, which was, you know, <laughs> notoriously fucking awful. Is it? I, I haven't Holy seen it. Holy shit. Did you watch you it? seen it everywhere? No, there are just like memes made of oh. him all over the place. No, I guess I haven't noticed it. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, that looked really interesting to me, so... There's something fun too. to check out. Yeah. But anyway. Um, Speaking cool. of YouTube, you know, I've, I've personally learned a lot uh, from some of your tutorials on YouTube. Oh. And I, I find that fascinating. Uh, I, I haven't, you know, been up to date on them lately. Are you still doing them? No. No, I have not um, for a long time. I've thought about starting to do them again. You know, I've just been trying to figure out, like, what I would actually do because there's so many tutorials you know online right. um, and also it's very time consuming and to do youtube you know at this day and age like you know it's kind of like you got to do it do it you know right. which is yeah a totally. whole thing on top of trying to make music and you know living a life you know it's hard to balance but i would love to do do, do some more in the future and i'm trying to figure out what the best model is you know to do that whether that's like a patreon thing or you know, because I think because I'm I'm an uh, Ableton certified trainer. Like that's. I was kinda, just going to ask that. Yeah. Yeah. So I got certified in 2000. It'd be like 10 ish. Okay. Yeah, 10 or 11. And when I first moved out to LA um, from Indiana, that's what I was uh, doing for a while. So I'm I'm thinking in the future, like if I did do like a Patreon thing, because I would love to instead of just doing tutorials to try to get views and stuff like I would love to treat it more as like having students and, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. teaching more specific things 
um, mm-hmm. and also just teaching it to them so that it's like, you know, if I mess something up, they can like tell me like, well, you know, I don't understand this part, you know, as opposed to just doing like a broad right you know thing and also helping people like with their progress and like you know them being accountable as well as me being accountable so you know who knows we'll see you know what you could do you could uh even just do like a quick 10 minute your own podcast like a 10 minute tip every Mm -hmm. week or something that's really easy to put out you know Mm -hmm. uh and that would be kind of a cool thing too in addition to that I think I like, it's funny, you keep segueing like perfectly into these notes that I've made, like with um, the Imogen Heap, uh, your last track (laughs) and how that like sounded like that to me. Um, But anyway, I was just going to ask you if you were certified as an Ableton instructor or not, because I think I recall hearing you in an interview at some point, and I don't remember where I heard this interview, but I recall you talking about moving to LA and starting to do like Ableton lessons. And that's when you first were discovered by Skrillex and -hmm. you made a comment about getting famous overnight that I've never forgotten. And I think I've probably even referenced it on this podcast a couple of times about how you say, yeah, you said, um, getting famous overnight takes like six to seven years and I'll never forget it. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's that's not my quote. I think I forget who said that, but well, you said it to but me. It's so true. <laughs> it's so yeah. true, though. It's like you, I don't know, because I mean, I've been making music like since I date it from like when I started playing guitar. Um, so I've been playing music for like 16, 17 years almost from like when I started playing guitar. But I've only been like touring for like the last maybe seven years. I want to say roughly, is that right? Yeah, it'd be about about seven years, about 2012, seven or eight years. Um, and there, there were so many instances through like, you know, like going to college, getting my bachelor's degree. And then once I got out of college, like there's no job that I could do. Like there's no way for me to pay my student loans, like living in Nashville and like playing for like country groups to try to make money and all that, like falling through, like doing my own thing in Nashville, like that falling through like having to move to Florida again, like I'm being basically homeless if it wasn't for my friend Jake and like deferring my student loans. Like there's just so many things and instances where it's like, wow, like you should have stopped there. Like that should have, for most people like that would have been where you stop, but you don't just keep going, Mm -hmm. you know, and then eventually by the time that you have no more energy to be upset about what didn't work out, that's when things start to work out. <laughs> and that it's, it's funny. Um, we've, we've talked about this with other guests before, but that whole process that you're saying like, Oh, I should have quit then. And I should have quit then. I should have quit then. That's really what separates. That's people. what I think separates people who are like, who view and going back full circle to the perception of musicians and performers that it's all this kind of like, you know, glamorous lifestyle. And I think that those I guess maybe you call them milestones of Mm -hmm. when you should have quit. The ability to keep going forward is, I think, what separates um, musicians who have some sort of longevity versus Mm -hmm. those who are captivated by the, you know, glamorous lifestyle that they see. You know, they pick up a guitar, try to start a band, like 99 out of 100 bands are over in under a month, you know? Yeah. They fail within a a month. Um, And I think... I guess what I'm trying to say is like, that's kind of what separates people. Yeah, it totally is. I mean, it's, it seems obvious, but I saw this really cool illustration yesterday on Instagram that was just like a 
depiction of someone making something and someone coming up and giving him criticism on it. And then he takes the criticism, like pulls the thought bubble out of the cl- out of the sky, you know, mm-hmm. and walks it over and sets it down on on a as like a brick on top of some other ones. Mm. And then steps back and he's been creating a staircase with these and far <laughs> beyond and above is, you know, success. That's oh, really yeah. you know, wow. obvious. Like but that's what that's pretty cool. Kind of what it what it is. And and the the different bricks that he was creating stairs out of, they said different things, you know, criticism, failure, experiment, you know. Right these kinds of like dif- differentiating the process, but that's really how it goes. And like we've said many times on this cast, people joke, you remember that producer that gave up me neither. Yeah. So. <laughs> right. What? I know plenty of producers that gave up. That's true. <laughs> yeah. But, but that's, you get because, it. You get you it. Know, you get yeah. it. <laughs> um, so yeah, we're coming in about an hour. We're probably going to wrap this up here pretty soon, Corey. Um, but if you had to, I, I know we have a lot of people who listen to this. Wait, podcast. wait, we can't ask this question yet. That has to be last thing. Cause I have oh. to ask this first. Oh, okay. Sorry. All Corey, right, right. Corey, if you, could do any karaoke song, what would it be? Oh God. Um, Bohemian Rhapsody and doing all the parts. Just me, a cappella, no With backing the midi track. Sprout. <laughs> With the MIDI sprout. The MIDI sprout, yeah. Dude. That'd That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, do Bohemian Rhapsody. That's what we vote for. Bohemian Rhapsody on the MIDI sprout. Thank you. I mean, what like because if you could do that all by yourself and it was like impeccable, I mean what like where do you like what what else do you do in life like that's yeah. it like you just I think totally. you've, you've achieved the ultimate no one would ever karaoke ever again yeah, yeah. you, I you think just you ended would, karaoke you would just kind of like disappear into into the wind and yeah you, you as, a, as a as a as a human you that's when you level yeah, you, up yeah you see somehow to exist and yeah karaoke you, you be known as the like ghost the ghost of Freddie Mercury yeah you yeah. hang out with the ghost of of the Buddha uh, and Jesus and all the other quote master builders. If, they, if you get into Freemasonry and whatnot, sorry, my conspiratorial well, side, my from? conspiratorial I, side just came out. Pat, <laughs> I love that you just said the ghost of the Buddha. I've never even thought of that or heard anybody say the ghost of the Buddha, but that's that's amazing. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm surprising myself by how like on point I am here today because I had a rough he night. He walked in and he's like, I'm deceased. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I've been like reviving him for hours. Well, maybe you're the ghost of the Buddha. Oh, God, man, maybe I am. Jesus. <laughs> Namaste. Boo. <laughs> Buddha, yeah. Oh, That's hey. hilarious. Dude. I didn't even mean it to be like that. Oh, man. <laughs> Interesting. Oh, God. All right, dude. Well, thank you so much. Oh, thank for you kicking guys. it with us. We really, really appreciate it. It was yeah, awesome to so talk much. to you. Yeah, let me know when you want to have me back on. Anytime. No, definitely. Anytime. Let man. us know next time you're in Minneapolis. I'll be there. All right. Thank you so much, Corey, for kicking it with us. We really appreciate it. And thanks for sticking around with us. If you're still here, guys, we've got just a couple things to chat about really quick before you know we're what? on our way out. You know what? I really liked that interview because I felt like I learned a lot about science. Honestly, I think that was one of the more interesting interviews that we've had in, in a while, just in terms of like talking stuff. about, yeah, like more the more analytical side of where some people derive their inspiration and like the hardware that they use to get there. Yeah, that like the what is it called? The med- the midi pedal? Midi sprout. Go to Kill Paris's Instagram. You can see what it looks like. You can see him using it. You can see what the computer screen looks like while he's using it. That's how I first found out about him using sprout. it in the first place 
was because of his Instagram. He does a great job with that. So yeah, go and, check him out on Instagram. And then go check out the track, uh, Venus Flytrap, and you can kind of hear what he's explaining. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's super cool. So anyway, yeah, hope to play with him soon, and hopefully we'll have him intermittently on the podcast a little bit hey, more. Hey, actually, don't you guys, aren't you guys playing a festival together? Um, yeah, we are actually. In February, we'll be playing uh, Brainquility, which is in at Suwanee in Florida. Oh, okay. Brainquility. Yeah. I feel like I just got smarter. Uh, yeah, we'll be playing at Brainquility. Uh, that's actually why I decided to reach out to him, because we'll both be there, and I thought it'd be cool just like build a little rapport before we mm-hmm. hang out and mm-hmm. plus I've always really admired his music so that was yeah, a really big bucket great. list item to be able to chat with him candidly about what we both do and not yeah. get too serious about it so absolutely that was cool uh, so anyway coming up for me this month I got uh, the 24th August 24th I'll be at Cervantes with Bass Physics and Cofresi that'll be in the main room the early birds already sold out so if you need a ticket to that I would grab it pretty quickly because it it's going to sell out. And secondly, I've got a release coming at the end of the month on August 27th on the official Carbon Based Life Horn Symbionic album, remix album. I remixed Symbionic's track City Zero, and it's a lot bassier than the normal stuff that I make. I guess it's more, it's more legit glitch hop and less melodic. There aren't any vocals. It's it's a little bit of a deviation from what I normally do. I was, it's, it's, you can tell that it's me for sure. It's still stylistically clearly me, but it's, it's a deviation from the normal decisions that I would make as a producer using yeah. the sampled sound design that Symbionic provided and things like that. Did so you find it, did you find it like a, a, a nice challenge, like a cool challenge? Um, or, Maybe I found it really fun because, you know, like even though I don't necessarily produce like this, I've always really liked, you know, Mr. Bill and things like Symbionic, the more weird bass kind of atmosphere. And I've never been super enthralled with sound design. So I've never been able to produce songs that have as much variation and experimentation as a lot of those artists are able and keen to do. Right. And so to be able to kind of fucks with that was cool to resample things that someone's already fucked with a lot. It was cool to be able to work with those kinds of sounds because I normally wouldn't find myself in that position. So yeah, I think it just sort of brought what I normally would do into just kind of a new light because instead of using my choice of samples and sounds, I'm choosing from a chosen library of what's available to me. And so I'm, I'm creating in my own space still, but I'm creating something that sounds different. So you, you guys can check that out on the 27th and then yeah so the moral of the story here today guys is go see pat this weekend or next weekend come see me at serves if you can go listen to galaxies within us go listen to venus flytrap go watch kill paris's instagram buy thai coconut and english toffee peanut m&ms and have a good fucking week don't forget to buy the turbos oh. flamas oh man turbos flamas Dude, they're that's flamas a secret weapon right there yes have a great week y'all